James chapter 4. Would you go there with me, please? James 4. As you go to James 4, we could sum up our studies so far here in this chapter by noting that what James has been teaching us is that a healthy dose of humility would spare us a lot of grief. (laughs) A healthy dose of humility can go a long way. First, James challenged the pride of pursuing our own pleasure at the expense of our relationship with God, at the expense of our relationships with others. He said in verse 1, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So as James says, we let our selfishness bring trouble to our relationships with others. And then we bring trouble on ourselves with our relationship with God by not praying, by either not praying at all or when we do pray, we pray selfishly to have our own selfish desires satisfied. Says James in verses 2 and 3, you do not have because you do not ask or you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Next, We learned that James challenges us as we listened to his challenge, as we saw his challenge here in chapter 4. James challenged us that we let our pride cause problems when we judge others. If If we had no problems of our own, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? If we had no sin of our own, that would be amazing, isn't it? But that's the way we judge others. We judge others as if we had no problems of our own. And as if we are better judges than God himself and better than his word in that respect. Says James in verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And in pride we speak sinfully about others and that dishonors God and it ruins our relationship with others and it harms our relationship with God. And now as we come to the remaining verses in chapter 4, we find we're still dealing with pride. James is still getting in our faces, so to speak, about our pride, about our lack of proper humility. And the humility we lack, says James, is our boastful pride. It's our boastful pride, thinking we're in control instead of God being in control, making our plans without any thought to what God would have and without any thought for the fact that our lives are not our own. So let's look at verses 13 through 17 to see how James addresses once more our problem of pride, lack of proper humility. Verse 13, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, our last time here, we saw how we are 
prone to judge others without thought for our own sinfulness. And that that judging is destructive. That judging of others sets ourselves up as judges over others, and that is not our place. And that also sets us above God's word, and we are not above God's word, and in so doing, it also sets us up as above God, and that too is not our place. And now as we look at these remaining verses, we see James is challenging our tendency to trust in ourselves, to to, to take great courage and and hope in, in what we can accomplish in and of our own strength, in our own wisdom, trust in our own schemes, putting our security in our making of plans without thought for the fact that God is the one who is in control and life can be short. As Proverbs 27 warns in verse 1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And we need that reminder, don't we? And that's the warning that we hear from James in verses 13 through 17. Don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow holds. There is one who knows, and you should yield to him. You see, James wants believers to have right relationships with one another, That's what he's challenging us with here in chapter 4. And he's also challenging us to make sure we have a right relationship with God. And we can harm both in our prideful boasting of our plans. And those right relationships can only be maintained if we are properly humble, of course. And one of the ways our pride shows up is in how we live and how we make our plans. James has been warning us. Pride says, I'm right and you're wrong. (laughs) And we know that's not always the case, right? Most of the time I'm right and you're wrong. No? We know that's not true, right? We all say that. We all want to be the one who's right. We We all say the other person's wrong, I'm right. I couldn't possibly be wrong. I'm right. But that's pride. And James says, pride says, I don't need to pray. I'll take care of this myself. Or... If I choose to pray, I'm going to pray selfishly. Of course, we would never admit that, but that's how we're found sometimes, praying selfishly to satisfy our own desires. That's pride. Pride says sinful things about other people, inappropriate things, things that are out of place, things that are wrong. Pride says, look at so-and-so. Did you know they said or did such and such? That's pride. And then James says this in verse 13, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go in such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And that too is pride. Pride says, look at the plans I've made. Have you seen my 10-year plan? I've got it all figured out. Here's where I'm going to be 10 years from now. Here's what I'm going to be doing. Here's how much money I will have made by then. But that's wrong, says James, to those who would make plans like they've got everything under control. He's challenging, of course. We hear him challenging the businessman who's making business plans and a business trip and how long he's going to stay. But it applies to every believer who says, here's what I'm doing on this day. Here's where I'm going. And here's how long I'm going to be there. And here's how much money I'm going to make. (laughs) Be careful. Be careful, says James, not so fast, believer. Do you not know that you aren't really in control? Your life is like a mist. Don't you know your life is in God's hands? And so 
learning here from James, I'm going to give you some steps to guard your heart against pride as you plan. Because it's not necessarily wrong to plan, but it's wrong to plan without thought for what God would have. So here's how James encourages us, and here's how James James confronts us and challenges us to prepare ourselves and guard our hearts against pride as you plan your days. First of all, you must acknowledge that life is like a mist. Be quick to acknowledge that life is like a mist. James says, you're going around making all these grand plans and, verse 14, yet you do not know that what tomorrow will bring. You don't know that your life is like a mist. What is your life, he says, verse 14, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then, poof, it's gone, vanishes. Life is like a mist. How is life like a mist? For one thing, life is fragile, isn't it? Life can be very fragile. We don't even know if we have another hour to live, let alone another year or another 10 years. I doubt any one of the individuals whose lives were taken in the bombings in Boston a few weeks ago thought that when they got up that day, their lives would end that day. Nor did the three killed in the two-car collision near Kalkaska on Monday. I doubt any one of them thought, anyone, any one of them was anywhere near the end of their life when they got up that morning and left their homes. Life is like a mist because it's fragile. And our lives can be here one moment and gone the next before we know what happened. And even as I mentioned these tragic events, we cringe because we don't like thinking like this, do we? We don't like thinking about this truth. But it is true. Life is like a mist because it's fragile. Life is also like a mist because it's short. A mist doesn't last long, does it? Go home this afternoon and boil some water and just try to capture the mist that comes out of the teapot, right? The the steam. It doesn't last. Just tell me where it goes. I have no idea, okay? I look and I go, where did that go? It's amazing, isn't it? Life is like a mist because it's short. Life is fleeting. As 1 Peter 1.24 reminds us, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass, the grass withers and the flower falls. Some of us tend to our yards this time of year. You're getting, we're getting out there and cleaning up and, and uh, seeding and feeding, right? Can't wait for the green grass and watch someone else go mow it. <laughs> Enjoy it because you live in northern Michigan. <laughs> and in what seems like just a few days, it'll be brown again and covered with white stuff. Hopefully not next week. Now, that's a reminder, too, that life is, is like a mist because one day each one of us is going to die. I'm here to tell you that that's true for each and every one of you. That is, unless, of course, as a child of God, he raptures his children home first, and we all hope to go that way, don't we? We all hope to go that way. But if the Lord doesn't return first, each of us is going to die. Now, it would seem like facing a certainty like that 
would make us all very serious about living to please the Lord today. Don't you think? Life is like a mist. It's, it's here and gone in a breath. It's short. It's temporary. It's fragile. And it would seem like knowing those truths would make us very deliberate about how we live today. But evidently, God's people in James's day weren't much different than we are today because he had to write this challenge to them to say, what are you doing in making your plans and boasting about making your plans? You've got it all figured out, but you really don't. What are you thinking, he says? You don't know what tomorrow will bring. And look at you making grand plans like you hold the controls. Look, you think you're in control of your, your mist-like life. And if we're not careful, we're just like them, aren't we? And so God put this in his word for us because we need to hear this today. And the point here is that we, we had better pay attention because if we think we're in control of our lives, then we could be in for a real surprise because we are not in control of our lives. Like the flower, we fade and fall. Like the grass, it withers and is gone. That's our lives. But praise God, he's in control. We are not in control, but he is. So we learn from James, here's how to guard your heart against pride as you plan your days. Here's how to grow up in proper humility toward God. First of all, you need to acknowledge that life is like a mist. Which reminds you of this. Number two, acknowledge that God is in control. You're not in control, but God is in control. That's number two. Acknowledge that God is in control. So, so is it wrong to make plans if God is in control? Is it, is it wrong to plan for the future if God is in control? No, it's not wrong. That's not what James is saying. There's nothing wrong with making plans for the future. And there's nothing wrong with doing business. And there's nothing wrong with making a profit, honestly. The trouble comes when you pridefully forget that God is in control. When you pridefully Forget that God alone is sovereign. Make your plans, but be ready to have them changed. You see, the proper attitude of the believer is one that humbly acknowledges this truth, that God is sovereign, and God is working, and he has a plan, and and he is in control. So James says, look at verse 15, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, We will live and do this or that. Now the trouble was, and still is, that believers then and believers now could very pridefully and very self-sufficiently make their plans and then boast that they had it all figured out. (laughs) Look at me. I've got it under control. Here's my map. Here's my plan. Here's how it's going to go for me pridefully boasting that they've got it all figured out and refusing to recognize that God is the one who is really in control. That's what he's saying here in verse 16. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. It's like he's saying, you're proud about being proud. You're boasting, you're prideful about your pride. And that's sinful, says James, to boast in your arrogance that you've got life all planned out and ordered the way that you want. That's the wrong attitude. 
The right attitude is the one that humbly acknowledges that God is in control, that God is sovereign. And if it's his will, this is what I'm planning. You've often heard Christians say, or you've even said it yourself, I have, and there's nothing wrong with this. Lord willing, here's what we're going to do. You'll hear me say it sometimes, Lord willing, next week, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But let me caution you that there's nothing magic about that either, okay? Just because you say, Lord willing, does not make your attitude right, okay? Can I just encourage you and challenge you with that? Because we say it, it's kind of like second nature for us to say, Lord willing, here's what I'm doing. Be careful. Whether or not we say, Lord willing, isn't important. That's not what James is saying. James isn't saying, tack at the beginning of everything, every plan you make, Lord willing, here's my plan. Don't. Don't make that a pat phrase. There's nothing magic or special about that. Here's what James is teaching. The important part is your heart attitude. What is your heart attitude toward God? Do you really believe he is in control? Are you really willing to submit to what he wants if it means changing your plans later? So is your attitude and mind one of submission before God? Am I acknowledging with my thinking Am I acknowledging with my planning, with my speech, with my life, what I say? That God is in control, that God is sovereign, and that he will have his way accomplished. He will have his will accomplished. And no matter what my plans are, they will not stand if they aren't a part of God's sovereign will. And I would be happy to have God change my plans. Is that your attitude? That's what James is saying. So I could say, Lord willing, and it means nothing if my attitude isn't one of submission before God. Nothing wrong with saying it, as long as it's accompanied with the right attitude. It's also true that I could make my plans fully aware that God is in control, fully yielded to whatever he desires, and make my plans... And saying, Lord willing, isn't required. It's not like you need to say, Lord willing. But that's the attitude James is instructing us as followers of Christ. We need to be submissive to God's will. I'm going to make plans. I'm going to do the best I can with the wisdom that God has given me to make wise plans. But if he comes along and changes them, then I'm going his way and not my way. You know, we often say it. Here's another thing we say, and you've heard it today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, right? There's nothing wrong with saying that, but but there's nothing sacred about saying that either. You don't have to say that when you pray, but you do have to have the attitude that accompanies in Jesus' name. I'm praying, I'm thinking about what I'm praying in light of what God's word says because I want what I pray for to be in line with what God wants. And I know that I can only pray with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's in Jesus' name that I pray. There's a lot to that little phrase when we say it. I hope you think about that when you say, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Because it doesn't tag down to the end of your prayer. It doesn't make your prayer okay if it's not in line with what God's word says. And if it's not accompanied from uh, the attitude of the heart that says, I want God's will to be done here. Here's my request, Lord. I'm, I could be totally wrong. But I think, I think I'm okay. According to your word, I, I'm asking for this, Lord, so bring this if it's your will. 
You can pray selfishly, speaking of prayer, as James challenged believers not to do earlier here in chapter 4. And you could say at the end of your selfish prayer, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, and you've not magically made that prayer okay. God knows your heart if you're praying to satisfy the lust of your flesh. So say, Lord willing, that's okay as you make your plans. And for that matter, say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Say that too. But make sure in all those situations your attitude is proper. In both cases, you must be submitted to God's will, to God's desires for you. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what you say. Because God knows your heart, doesn't he? God sees and knows when we're living pridefully and selfishly. And to live, the challenge from James is to live and make plans as if you have ultimate control is to ignore the fact that in the end, you cannot guarantee the outcome of any of your plans. So for example, it's not wrong to purchase life insurance, but you can't guarantee that your family will have financial stability when you're gone. You can't guarantee that. Planning for your future, saving for retirement, there's nothing wrong with those things, but there's no guarantee that your financial future is secure. Trust in the Lord. Depend upon him. Seek his will. Make your plans. Invest wisely. Spend carefully. But honor God with the attitude of your heart. So here's how to guard your heart against pride as you plan your days. Here's how to grow in proper humility toward God as James challenges us. Acknowledge that life is like a mist. Number two, acknowledge that God is in control. And number three, acknowledge that pride is a spiritual killer acknowledge and recognize that pride is a spiritual killer. James adds this in verse 17, which is like saying, you've been warned. Look at verse 17. And this is in, and this is following what he said. So he's pointing back to what he's just said. This is a general truth, yes, okay? And you've heard people say this in conjunction with all kinds of things. And generally, this is true about sin, about honoring God, but he's pointing back to what he just said, okay? Verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And this is generally true of everything. You know, if you know the right thing to do from God's word and you don't do it, that, just because you didn't do it doesn't mean you didn't sin. If you didn't do the right thing and you knew to do it, that is a sin of omission, Okay? And so, yes, this is true about all kinds of sin, but he's using this and he's pointing back to what he just said. I'm warning you. Be careful that you don't pridefully look at your life and say, I've got it all figured out and forget that God is sovereign. And so it's like he's saying, I'm warning you. You've been warned. So whoever, verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And this is why I say, Pride is a spiritual killer because pride unchecked and and being unsubmissive to the Lord will lead you at all times to sin. God's word has warned us as well. Just as James was warning the people he was writing to, God put it here for our sake also. It is a sin to make your plans without considering what would be pleasing to God. And how quickly we make plans without even a thought for whether or not what we're thinking about or planning would be a thing that would honor and glorify God or not. 
It's sin to live like your life is your own to live in any way you wish. And believers aren't to make their plans and live their days any way they like as long as they say, Lord willing, that's not right. No, God wants our hearts, does he not? He wants the humility of our hearts. He wants us to yield before his word and his wisdom and the work of his spirit in us as his children. He wants our hearts. He wants the desire of our hearts to be in line with his word at all times. But it's a struggle, isn't it? And that's why James has been challenging us here. It is a constant battle. Go back to verse 1, right? It's the, it's the selfish pride that war, wages war within that's causing your problems in your personal relationships and a, and a whole host of other problems. The Lord Jesus Christ desires our wholehearted devotion and calls us to be devoted to, to obedience to honoring him with the attitude of our heart, to honoring him with our with our desires and with our making of plans. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ, in fact, who models this for us so powerfully when at the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night he would be betrayed, do you remember what he prayed? He knew what lie ahead of him. He'd been warning his disciples that he would be taken and killed and, and he prayed this to the Father, not once, but twice. Matthew 26, verse 39, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He knew what he was going to endure, have to endure, what he was going to suffer. He knew even far more terribly than we can even imagine the weight, the oppressive weight of the sins of millions of people that he would bear at the cross. I can't even imagine the the burden of that, the psychological and spiritual burden that Jesus bore. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. You know the rest? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 42, again, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. That's the celebration of the Lord's Supper this morning, that we remember what Jesus Christ took on himself for our sins. Because he willingly, submissively said to the father, I see this and and I'm getting a sense of what I'm going to have to endure And if you can figure out some other way, so be it. But if not, your will be done. Jesus was fully submissive to the Father's will in all things. And God requires those who put their trust in his Son the same devotion. He calls to us and says, With my strength, with the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, I've given you a precious gift. I've given you the Comforter the encourager, the one who would strengthen you as you put yourself into his word. You put yourself in my word, says God. Abide by my word, and by the power of the Spirit, I will help you live a submissive life to me that honors me and and benefits you, helps you. You see, there's great joy. There's great contentment. There's great peace and satisfaction in honoring the Lord with our submissive attitudes. 
Those who trust in Jesus Christ, God says, it's your turn. Submit to my son. You had to do that to trust in him because you had to admit, I cannot save myself. I'm a sinner in need of saving, and I need a Savior. And that Savior I know now is Jesus Christ, and I put my trust in him. That's your first act of submission. And then God says, keep humbling yourself before my word. And and by the power of the word and the spirit in you, I will give you boldness and courage to obey. And so we make our plans. And as we make them, we're to consider the wisdom of God's word. And as we do, we should be praying something like this. Lord, these these are plans I'm making. And I want them to please you, Lord. I know you're sovereign. I know you're in control. And I want to know your word so I know how to pray better and I know how to plan better. But these are my plans and I want them to honor you. Lord, I want your will to be done and I want my decisions to honor you and I want my life to be used for your glory. So I make these plans guided by the steps in your word as you give me wisdom guided by your Holy Spirit as you work in me to know your word. God, help me guide my decision-making, and with the wisdom of your word, your will be done. You don't have to pray exactly like that, but pray from your heart. Submit yourself to God. Humble yourself before him. Do not let your pride get in the way as you make your plans. Let God's word guide you. And may the attitude of our hearts be always today one of humility. Today and always one of humility before God. That we would say, Lord, I want to know you. And I'm thankful for your word. I want to know your will. And so I read your word. And I thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that you've given me to help me obey. And so, Lord, help me to be thoughtful and careful about all the plans I make, all the choices I make, that they might be measured in in what would glorify God. How might I honor God with this choice and decision? And in all of them, God, if you change my plans, I'm right there with you. Let my plans be dead and gone. I want your plans, Lord. May that be the attitude of our hearts today and always. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, oh, how thankful we are for the Lord Jesus Christ and his submissiveness to your plan. Had it not been, we would not be able to enjoy and rejoice in today being freed from the bonds of sins as those who follow Christ are made free. And God, I pray that you would help us to be very thoughtful and careful. Help us to examine our own hearts with the wisdom of your word, with a a humble and submissive and yielded attitude before your word and your spirit at work in us. God, I pray, help us always to be thoughtful and careful about our plans, that they would not be prideful boasting plans, but that they would be willing and submissive to the Father's will plans. Oh God, I pray, give us wisdom from your word. Help us to be students of the word. Help us to be readers of the word. Help us to believe your word. And then help us to obey. And then, God, I pray, give us wisdom about our plan making, about our 
living, the choices we make, the investments we make, the, the time we spend, how we use our time, how we use what you've blessed us with. Lord, help us to know that as we make plans, you may have other plans and help us to be very willing and ready to be changed mid-course because you have other ideas that are far greater than our own. As you work in so many ways we do not see, help us to trust you and help us to honor you with the obedience of our hearts. And God, I pray today that if there are those in our midst who have never trusted in Jesus Christ and want the joy, the great joy and satisfaction of having their sins forgiven because Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross for their sins and then gives the Holy Spirit to all who receive him and gives the word to direct the living of those lives. God, I pray, draw unbelievers to yourself. Open their eyes to see, to understand, to believe and obey by submitting to you, by submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ, by repenting of sins and believing in Jesus Christ for salvation. God, I pray, draw sinners to yourself. And God, I pray, draw your people to yourself to trust you today to be bold and courageous in their plan making, that, that that plan making would be submitted to your word and your wisdom and your will, and always with the attitude, Lord willing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.